Welcome to the Merlin Podcast, bringing Europe's fresh waters back to life. I'm walking up a staircase inside a tall wooden viewing tower, which looks out over Flanders Moss National Nature Reserve in central Scotland. The view is spectacular, a patchwork of water, moss and scrubby woodland over a flat plain framed by mountains and forests on the horizon. I'm Rob St John, and with me are a group of scientists and environmental managers who are working to restore peatlands and wetlands all over Europe through the Merlin Project. We're here to find out about this special landscape, a raised bog rich in biodiversity and carbon stores. Here's Ewan Laurie from Site Manager's Nature Scott. So we're standing on the probably the largest remaining raised bog uh, in Scotland. So it's about uh, 80 hectares uh, and it was formed uh, about uh, 80,000 years ago. And the, the sphagnum, uh, which is, uh, grows on the, the bog surface, uh, holds the water and it becomes really wet and uh, quite acidic and it doesn't rot. So uh, it stores the, the carbon brilliantly and uh, it grows very slowly, but over the years uh, it's, it's grown to a huge depth uh, in this area. So there's uh, relatively little of this uh, landscape uh, left uh, and it, it has a, a really good carbon storage uh, capacity. So this isn't a Merlin site, but we are doing some uh, work very similar to this uh, on some other bogs. So some of the, the smaller bogs uh, on the, the edge of the uh, Allen water, uh, we're going to do similar sort of things. So we're going to be blocking up uh, ditches because the ditches mean that the the bog drains uh, and the, uh, the sphagnum uh, doesn't grow as much. So if we can raise the water table within the bog, uh, then the sphagnum grows and it starts to trap peat uh, again. As Ewan describes, the management approaches which help restore Flanders moss provide inspiration for other peatland sites which Merlin is working to restore. Here's Amy Pickard from the Centre for Ecology and Hydrology in Edinburgh to tell us more. The, the restoration that we see across this is um, a good example because it represents the type of restoration that we see across the wider kind of Scottish landscape. So the key methods being traditional kind of ditch blocking through peat dams and, and plastic piling, but also forest to bog restoration given the, the pressure um, that Scottish bogs in particular were put under due to kind of this plantation of, of non-natural conifers on the landscape. So it's a nice example of a relatively contained site with lots of different restoration methods in place, um, which is yeah, a useful case study for Merlin. So when you're thinking about upscaling findings, we actually want to look at different uh, restoration techniques, and that's what Flanders Moss provides us with, like different restoration um, types that are relevant if we want to ultimately fulfil the Merlin project objective of, of upscaling restoration. Of course, the Merlin project um, wants to quantify and measure um, benefits beyond just carbon storage and of course that's being done here as well but that really is the driving force of, of restoration and, and public funding for restoration here in Scotland. Landscape recovery trajectories are in the order of decades not years which means they don't necessarily fit into project lifetimes but ultimately I think one of the, the things that needs to be considered with restoration is the need to go back and, and maintain the site not just restore and, and leave it and so I think that kind of 
that lesson on what the best practice is for management moving forward is quite an important one um, and I think we're still learning on that. If you want carbon sequestration for quick wins you probably would put in a load of coniferous forestry plantation rather than restore a peatland because the payback period is longer but ultimately I think the reward at the end is, is greater so you have to have that long-term trajectory. As both Ewan and Amy describe, working with bogs and peatland forces us to expand our ideas of time in environmental management. As Ewan puts it, nothing happens quickly in a bog. These are landscapes that have developed slowly and gradually, and their restoration often happens at a similarly slow pace. And this work is crucial in addressing the current climate and biodiversity crises. Peatlands are both vital in mitigating the effects of climate change whilst being particularly sensitive to its effects. The Flanders Moss field visit is part of a Merling meeting held in Edinburgh in April 2023, where representatives from the seven peatland and wetland case studies in the project meet to share ideas and present their findings. These diverse sites from all over the continent are being supported by more than 10 million euros in funding to help strengthen their restoration through the use of nature-based solutions. These are approaches which aim to use natural processes to help tackle socio-environmental challenges such as climate change, biodiversity loss and flooding. We'll come back to them in more depth in a future podcast. For now, I want to hear about some of the peatland and wetland sites in Merlin. In Sweden, the impact of beavers as ecosystem engineers is being studied to help support river restoration projects. Here's Daniel Thorell from the Swedish Forest Agency to explain how their activities can help benefit the wider landscape. So we will uh, make a case study about uh, beavers and beaver dams and uh, how they affect uh, biodiversity, water quality. I mean, they are really engineers, so they, uh, uh, they make dams which will change the landscape it will it will uh, affect the uh, the waterway of course and uh, uh, the biodiversity in the streams but it will also affect the the uh, the biodiversity on land and, and so if the beaver is there it, it will be it will make a big difference our ambition is to to uh, monitor uh, the effects of, of uh, beaver dams uh, when it comes to biodiversity, so um, birds, bats, um, fish, uh, and also how it affects uh, water quality. It's about restoring landscapes or restoring uh, streams and, and, uh, and so on. But the difference is that it's not humans who restore but rather the beavers and 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 uh, I think we can provide results that shows the positive effects of beavers but also the negative effects uh, and this knowledge can be useful for when there appear conflicts because the, the beavers are expanding in Sweden so there will probably be co more conflicts and then knowledge is also always uh, good to have to take, make the right 
decisions whether to remove the dam or, or, or to, to keep it. The peatlands in the Olajoki Ioki river basin region in northern Finland have been altered and drained for forestry, agriculture and peat extraction for decades. Here's Anna Kaiser Ronkonen from the Finnish Environment Institute to explain how these peatlands are being re-wetted to benefit both people and nature. Our case study is a peat extraction site and, uh, and now they have stopped uh, to extract the peat and now we are planning the new after-use uh, alternatives there. And uh, that is what we are doing in the Merling. We will have a revetit areas, we will have a restored peatland uh, area, we will have a forested area also. And then, of course, the areas with a, a quite a different moisture gradient. So we, we cannot like a, uh, plan very carefully what will be there, but uh, we will build uh, uh, four different uh, submerged uh, dams there with a very low maintenance. And uh, with those, we can control the water uh, budget in our area. I could say that it's nearly like a dis uh, totally destroyed peatland. <laughs> so, but around of that area, there are still pristine peatland, there are still uh, uh, pristine forests, and also managed forest areas. Yeah. So those are supporting the biodiversity and, and our target in, in Merlin. But yes, peat layers have been nearly uh, all, or in some parts, the peat have been uh, extracted totally. It is very important to, to show that how the, those peat extraction sites can be restored and revetted uh, in a sustainable way. And uh, we need uh, monitoring data for greenhouse gas emissions and water emissions and also for uh, biodiversity how biodiversity is like developing um, after revetting. So we have to show by the data what is happening there. And then uh, uh, we can find the, like a good examples uh, how to revet and restore sustainably. My, my dream is that this area could be like a uh, long-term place where we can uh, really follow what is happening after peat extraction. And I hope that the people find, will find also the place and they also feel that, uh, that, uh, that uh, they have some kind of like ownership to the area. So. In northern Portugal, Merlin scientists are working to restore corridors of wooded wetland ecosystems along the river Lima. Here's Patricia Rodriguez Gonzalez from the University of Lisbon to explain further. Well, it's a very uh, exceptional wetland uh, floodplain area in the northwest of Portugal. Uh, in particular, the area we are working in, the uh, Merlin, corresponds to the what tributary, which is Estoraun's River, in the right margin of the Lima catchment. And it has uh, 
combination of different kinds of habitats, pastures, uh, forests. Uh, there is also some shrubby uh, communities, but mostly wetland wetland communities. Well, in spite of being a highly diverse and relatively well-preserved area, uh, there's a number of pressures affecting these uh, ecosystems. And notably, there has been an increase in invasive species and exotic invasive species that have been uh, spreading through the wetland uh, habitats and they are uh, taking the place for the native species and the native communities. In this uh, floodplain area, we had started formally in a previous project, in Life Fluvial Project. We have already started with some activities to remove uh, some exotic species, also to promote natural regeneration with passive restoration activities, so managing cattle, so there is an herbivory because there is some, some pressure from herbivory, herbivory, so trying to manage and conciliate both uh, activities. And in Maryland, we will, go, we will continue some of these activities, but we will also include some areas of the, of the river that can be a bit better reconnected with the floodplain, and we will increase the engagement of stakeholders that has been already in, started, but now... Uh, make more agreements with them to align with the uh, Green Deal goals. Restoration is a long-term process, so we the, the work started in maybe a few years ago needs to be uh, continued several, several years to be really uh, recovering the functioning in the ecosystems because it's a, it's a very long process. They have been evolving for, for centuries and now uh, after these, these pressures and changes, they will need a real a lot of time to recover, including also the, the, all the social elements. So this will take uh, time and it's, it's, it's important to continue it, it's especially the effort and to include more significant elements in the restoration. In northern Denmark, a large area of lowland agricultural land will be re-wetted through the restoration of natural hydrological processes. This re-wetting at Noriadalen Vedkvonning is intended to help boost carbon storage and reduce water pollution. Here's Martin Nissen-Norgard from the Danish Ministry of the Environment to explain. We have a wetland peat area where we are trying to make a climate project to reduce the outlet of CO2. Uh, that's the financing that's, that we are reducing the CO2. But we also have these benefits, uh, other benefits, uh, with reducing the nitrogen outlet and hopefully also uh, have a better biodiversity in the area. It's a river valley uh, with the peat in the bottom and it has been used for land use uh, crop for many years but it's over the years it's been more and more extensive and uh, it's very drained so the peat is uh, dropping and uh, that's what we are trying to stop uh, by st stopping the drainage in all the area and also lifting up the small rivers and meandering them in the areas uh, and then these is the area is 500 hectares, and is, uh, there is about 70 landowners. We have to cope with, and uh, we give them compensation, or in, and we use uh, land swap, land consolidation in the area. We have a 
goal in Denmark to rewet about 100,000 hectares uh, in the next 10 years or something, something like that uh, for a climate uh, uh, thing to reduce uh, the outlet of CO2. Uh, hopefully we can save the, the earth <laughs> or be a, a small part of it. So uh, that's, uh, that's why we do it and it's financed by the government. Hopefully we uh, have a, a huge area uh, and it's um, lying in, in this very big river valley and uh, this is one part but next to it is coming another project and another project. So we have a, a when we are finished we have a maybe a total area of many thousand ten hectares with nature, where the nature is in focus and uh, and the grassing is for the nature and not to uh, become money out of it. So, and, and, and then we also have uh, hopefully a more diverse nature in the area. The Campinos wetlands are a unique habitat. Located close to the city of Warsaw in Poland, they are protected within a national park and UNESCO biosphere reserve due to their diverse ecosystems. However, centuries of drainage for agriculture have caused them to shrink and dry out. Here's Anna Velinska and Julian Rudzinski from the Campinos National Park to explain how restoration work is seeking to re-wet this landscape. It's a very big national park, second biggest in Poland. It's situated very close to Warsaw in the Vistula, the main river, uh, Prevali. And it's covered in 70% by forests, different ones. And there are dunes and there are marshes and there is very huge diverse biodiversity. Um, so, and um, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Those wetlands, although they are um, very close to Warsaw, they were not inhabited until middle of 17th century and they are quite wild wetlands. But then the agriculture started, and since middle of 18th century, uh, big ditches to drain these wetlands were built. This drainage system worked very well. It means the, the wetlands were dried out. In many places, peat were uh, destroyed, compacted, and it appeared that although at the beginning agriculture was doing well because it was on the fresh peatland areas uh, or wetland areas, but later it getting poor, more poor and poor and it's not uh, mm, valuable, no? Profitable. Profitable, yeah. Mm. And in the uh, 1959 the national park was created. Uh, in this area, and then in the middle of the 70s, uh, our authorities, state authorities, decided that there is no point to keep agriculture there because it should, the, the nature should be protected in the national park. So uh, there were made two big decisions. One uh, about stopping building or digging next ditches and drain this area even more. Uh, and then uh, to buy up the land, private land, from private people for the state, for nature protection. 
And this buying up process was v going very slowly uh, and it's still going on, but now we have quite big areas which are in bigger amount, it's, they are uh, state-owned, and then we can try to uh, improve water conditions. So as a restoration actions, uh, we are doing uh, now in Merlin and in the, in the previous and ongoing life project, we the main aim is to slow the water runoff uh, in these uh, ditches that Anna mentioned. Mm. So the first uh, life project was uh, mm, was pointed. Uh, on the smaller ditches that are like tributaries of the main ditches and this ongoing life project and also Merlin project uh, are mainly on this, uh, uh, this bigger, this main ditches. And a part of this we want to keep open meadows like hay meadows or a little bit of pastures so we hope it will be big um, mosaic, mosaic of, of, of habitats. Yeah natural and semi-natural habitats with a huge amount of uh, species with no alien species which we have problem with. As we are a <laughs> national park the main goal is uh, the biodiversity and the good mm, quality of uh, habitats yeah mm -hmm. but uh, yeah it's also important for the like, mm -hmm. touristic reason because of the uh, Warsaw city just by and, uh, and also carbon sink, as you mentioned, is very important. Hearing about these ambitious restoration projects has left me feeling very inspired. It feels like at each site there is a hopeful vision to address biodiversity and climate issues whilst taking the needs of local people into account. If nothing else, sites like these are beacons of positive change showing that ecological restoration can be mainstreamed across Europe to help restore landscapes damaged by human actions. On the last morning of the meeting, I met Sebastian Burke, project coordinator of Merlin, in the Meadows Parkland, itself a drained former loch and wetland, to get his perspective on the big issues. He began by talking about the key topic of financing restoration. Peatlands are valuable ecosystems when it comes to storing carbon and the question is also how can we support this storage because peatlands are in a very poor condition usually because they have been drained used for agriculture so to reverse that um, we need to take action and, and then the question is so what, what is it, what kind of action do we take here and it's mainly about securing finance to, to change the view of how to use the peatlands, no longer as agricultural areas for instance but more keep them as they are, restore them to allow for more carbon to be stored and this requires money. Well, I think it, it, it has been piloted by the, the peat and wetland thinking. Um, so if, if we want to get away from, from agriculture, which has a huge benefit, of course, and, and also in, in monetary terms, um, how can we incentivize um, landowners not to 
count on agriculture anymore, but rather on uh, restoring peatlands, which means to abandon agricultural use, uh, or at least to uh, yeah, ex extensify uh, this. And um, carbon crediting is, is, is a big thing in this regard. That means that uh, there are payments for storing carbon in these peatlands and the more carbon is stored the more payments are given by a market that, that is uh, established in, in this uh, context. But the interesting thing that I just learned uh, over the last days and, and this is the nice thing with these uh, visits and, and coming together and have all these discussions about things is that from a scientific viewpoint you really don't know when is a peatland storing carbon again so what is what is the level of restoration that needs to be achieved to make it well the scientists call that a sink a carbon sink and no longer a source and this very much is related to the level of of water within this body of peatland and um, so one of the problems is that on the one hand you have this market established or will have this market established and uh, um, the owners of peatlands will say no we have restored that peatland to a certain extent give us the money because uh, uh, we have a peatland that will store carbon and then comes the climate change um, and there will be decades in the future and we cannot really tell whether it works for all this time. So climate change will make the summers drier, perhaps, and suddenly your peatland, which is thought to be a sink of carbon, will become a source of carbon again, although market-wise you have identified this piece of land being a sink of carbon. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's nature, it's, it's so dynamic and, and you would have to install a permanent monitoring, which is anyway something that we, that we uh, advocate. But how can you organize that? In, it, it, it becomes pretty complex in, in many ways. A peatland is, is, a, is a body of, of, of land um, and, and you, you only see, see it onto its face and you don't know what's inside which makes it more complicated, which requires also sophisticated monitoring. Well, the day before yesterday, I learned from an expert that uh, when you start restoring a degraded peatland, um, it may take only 10 to 15 years to become a sink, a carbon sink again. Um, so they call it the functionality of, of the peatland uh, in a way. And I, well, I don't know the figures of a forest, but I'm, I'm sure like, like in an old growth forest, it may take like 80 to 100 years. Merlin and, and the, the, the restoration theme is, is very much about achieving multiple benefits. And um, the current discussion or say the, 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 the movement for action is with regard to peatlands and wetlands is very much focused on on combating climate change sequestering carbon making peatlands and wetlands a carbon sink again 
And of course, there's this element of biodiversity that comes in, but there's this strong focus, at least in the public um, debate and in, in the political debate. And th this makes it a bit more special in, in terms of um, the, the various e ecosystems that we are covering in Merlin. And the, the interesting aspect with the peatlands discussion is indeed this financial perspective, understanding um, how can we establish markets um, or, or even a, a society and an economy that considers this new market and allows for a landscape transition towards more sustainable solutions now using all these buzzwords, but, but this is really the focus. We can learn a lot from, from these developments, and I think this learning exercise is relevant, will be relevant also for the other ecosystems that we're dealing with in Merlin. So, as Sebastian outlines, the restoration of peatlands and wetlands is often framed in terms of their potential to lock up carbon from the atmosphere and so help mitigate the effects of climate change. But, as we've learned from the voices you've heard in this podcast, these are also ecosystems which support our lives in myriad ways, providing rich biodiversity habitat, buffering floodwaters, providing spaces for us to explore and play, and filtering safe drinking water. As Sebastian states, however, the question is how best to support and finance their restoration to help maximise these benefits. Over the coming years, we'll follow how Merlin is helping bring these ecosystems, alongside large rivers and small streams across Europe, back to life. For now, goodbye from Edinburgh. You can find out about the Merlin Project at project-merlin.eu and keep up with progress on our social media and at freshwaterblog.net. The Merlin Project is funded by the European Commission's Horizon 2020 programme. This podcast was presented and produced by me, Rob St John, and the music is by Sebastian's band, Scala. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>